ಓಸುದೇವಸುತ ಅಜಾನಂತೋಮನುತ್ತಮ not knowing my immutable unsurpassed supreme nature the ignorant regard me the unmanifest as coming into being all right so here he's talking about his avatar nature krishna what's the context he is talking about bhakti devotion and he says four kinds of people uh, are devoted to god and they are all blessed those who come to god in distress those who come to god because they want something and those who come to god because they are <coughs> inquirers seekers of god seekers of enlightenment and those who are enlightened already those who are already uh, free saved so these are the four kinds who are all they are all blessed but there are others the rest of the world the question may arise then why doesn't everybody become uh, a devotee of god because they are blinded by desire so that was the discussion going on and here he talks particularly about avatar the incarnation of god it's a very very powerful way of enlightenment of going of overcoming samsara but the only problem is uh, you need faith in the incarnation it's difficult to recognize the incarnation uh, you know you that's why swami vivekananda said about sri ramakrishna let people accept sri ramakrishna in whatever way they will and you can be an incarnation of god or let them accept him as a you know a, as great saint or great spiritual seeker as long as they do what he has taught but that means it's difficult to recognize the incarnation and so here krishna says that not knowing my immutable unsurpassed supreme nature what is this immutable unsurpassed supreme nature normally from an advaitic perspective it would mean satchidananda um, existence consciousness bliss but since we are talking about incarnation incarnation is incarnation of ishvara saguna brahman god the god of religion so he is talking this immutable and surpass supreme nature is god not knowing that i am actually god the ignorant regard me the unmanifest supreme god as having been born i um, what it means is but do you have been born you know all the incarnations are born it may be that they are born differently from human beings they are born so their body is born and that too it's what krishna is marking here is the incarnation avatar is very different from uh, other human beings other sentient beings we are born uh, because of our past karma there is causality we are forced from lifetime to lifetime we are not really signed up for this all in a certain way we have because of what we have done in many lifetimes this is what we have built for ourselves but we have no understanding of it we have no memory of it uh, and we just are being pushed along by the forces of karma 
not so God. So when God becomes an incarnation, comes amidst us just like us, but is not just like us. First of all, God has come on purpose, not um, out of necessity or forced along. God has no past karma. We have, we have come here because of a mixture of good and bad karma. Not so for God, the incarnations of God. Uh, God comes with a mission. We have also come here. Ultimate purpose is enlightenment. God's coming here is not for enlightenment. God is ever enlightened. God is ever free. Moksha is our goal. It's not God's goal. God is already free. God's goal is compassion, uh, is, is saving uh, humanity, is leading us to uh, enlightenment. But Sri Krishna says, so if that, that's so powerful. That should be wonderful for all of us. But Sri Krishna says, no, because it's very difficult to recognize. Um, they think I am born just like them. The unmanifest has become manifest means I'm born just like them. Therefore, there's some relig religions do not accept incarnation, some theistic religions. So, for example, Islam does not accept reincarnation. There's a big difference between Islam and Christianity. So, Islam accepts Jesus Christ as a prophet, but not as the son of God, not as an incarnation of God. For them, Islam, uh, Jesus Christ is not uh, Allah. So, that's the big, big um, theological dispute between Islam and Christianity. Similarly, in India, so, incarnations are accepted by all the sects of Hindus, but not by the other Indian religions. So, Buddhism, of course, does not accept God. So, there is no question of incarnation. Whose incarnation? Jainism also does not accept God. So, there is no question of incarnation or avatar. Uh, Sikhism, which accepts God, but does not accept incarnation. So, God is not born as... Sri Krishna says, God, here he says, correct, God is not born, not like a human being. So when I come here, I'm actually not born like a human being, but people do not recognize that. It's very difficult to recognize. Just in case you're wondering, yes, all religions do accept special beings. So Islam does not accept an incarnation, but it accepts uh, the prophet Muhammad and other prophets as uh, unique, unique, uh, they are human, but they are... Uh, above the common run of humanity. They are extraordinarily, by the grace of God. Um, Sikhism does not accept incarnations of God, but it does accept that the ten gurus were special. The ten gurus of Sikhism are special. Um, then Buddhism doesn't accept God as such, nor does Jainism. But for them, Buddha and the Bodhisattvas, they are special beings. Um, so who have been born out of compassion, and they take many births out of compassion for all sentient beings to leave to lead them to enlightenment. Um, and then Swami Vivekananda, for example, the way he put his mission is very similar to the Bodhisattva ideal of Mahayana Buddhism. Swami Vivekananda said, "My goal in life is to preach unto humanity their inner divinity, how to make it manifest in every movement of life." And then he says, "To preach unto um, uh, uh, humanity their inner divinity until." The universe shall know it is one with God. So to, to every last sentient creature in this uh, world, everybody must be saved. So that's a very uh, Mahayana type of approach. Then, uh, so the Jains have the Jinas. Mahavira, of course, is the last and the greatest of them. The Tithankaras, uh, who are the unique teachers of spirituality in every cosmic cycle. The Buddhas have the body, the Buddhists have the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas. Uh, so every religion 
uh, has and pl a place for a special being. Now, this idea that there is a special being who is elevated above the rest of us, we can't become like that. We can all become free. We can all become enlightened. But we can't become like that. We can't become an incarnation of God. Or we can't become a prophet without, uh, by, without the grace of, special grace of God. So, um, probably they're talking about the same phenomenon. In some religions, it is called an avatar. In some religions, they don't accept avatar, but special, special being. And Krishna says they're very difficult to recognize. Then what in um, actually the ninth chapter we will see later on, there's a verse which is almost like this. I can read it out to you. When we study the ninth chapter, we will come across the eleventh verse of ninth chapter in the Gita. Avajanantimam mudha manushim tanumashritam parambhavam ajananto. Mamabhuta Maheshwaram. The ignorant deride me who have taken a human form, not knowing my higher nature as the great Lord of beings. So, I am not a human being. People think that I am a human being. And then they regard me as a very humble human being. You know? um, and they don't understand that I am none other than the God they are worshipping. So, I have come in that way. Sri Ramakrishna said to Swami Vivekananda that he who was Rama, he who was Krishna is in this uh, body, in this age, is uh, here as Ramakrishna. And then he added, not in your Vedantic, that means not in your Advaitic sense. Because if you take it in the Advaitic sense, one Satchidananda alone exists, everything is the manifestation of that. And Vivekananda himself says, you all are the uh, avatars of, of, uh, of the ultimate reality. From uh, from Advaitic perspective, if you are at all going to accept an avatar, then everybody is an avatar. We are all avatars because we are all appearances of that one reality. But not in that sense. Uh, Sri Ramakrishna says, it is in the theistic sense, in the dualistic sense, in the sense of God and universe and individual being. Jiva Jagat Ishwar, in that sense, Ishwara has come in this day and age as an, as an incarnation. What had happened in that time as Rama, what had happened, what appeared, that power which appeared as Krishna, as in this day and age, appeared as uh, Ramakrishna. And it is not evident to most people. Some people recognize. I was just thinking, even uh, someone like Totapuri, who did not accept, who, or at least who did not give any importance to Saguna Brahman, Ishvara, God, let alone Avatar, but he recognized. All those other people who were so devoted to God, to Makali, Indakshineshwar, so all devotees are coming. They did not recognize who Ramakrishna was. Some thought he was mad, some thought he was just a priest, some thought he was a great devotee of Kali. That's it. It's too much to expect people to think this priest, who seems to be half mad, is actually incarnation of God. But this non-dualistic monk, Totapuri, he recognized. At one point, he says to Sri Ramakrishna, I know Oh, he says, oh, it is you. I know who you are. And then he says, let me go. And Sri Ramakrishna said, no. Until the purpose is fulfilled, that I, I get this Advaitic real, full Advaitic realization from you. So that's what you have come here for. Until that time, you, you, will, you are not free to go. What a strange conversation between guru and disciple. Guru is telling disciple, let me go, please let me go. And the disciple is saying, no. You will stay here until your purpose, your part in this Leela is fulfilled. 
फॉर्म Swami Ranganathan ji gives an example of Gandhi ji here of course Swami Ranganathan ji was our 13th president of our order here of course met Gandhi ji and others and that during the freedom struggle he gives the example of Gandhi ji who was very unimpressive as some you know as a man skinny and old man frail most unimpressively dressed uh, unimpressive looking person he was saying that uh, mrs sarojini naidu one of the great leaders of the freedom struggle she humorously and affectionately she called mahatma gandhi when she first saw him she called him mickey mouse his big big ears skinny person mickey mouse in that mickey mouse frame of his how much power was there which shook the entire world order which uh, destroyed the british empire i remember attending this uh, talk given by this crazy philosopher slavoj zizek he had come to new york and uh, he was giving a talk in the new york public library so i attended two talks one was in new york public library one was in new york university so in nypl new york public library he was giving the talk and uh, uh maybe he saw me i don't know why suddenly started talking about gandhi and uh, his way is to he will say something very shocking he will you will think what is he saying is he mad but then he will make sense after that so what he said was um he has a heavy heavy eastern european accent he says uh, gandhi was uh, more violent than hitler that everybody stunned what is he saying gandhi is more violent than hitler then he explains he says uh, hitler for all his warfare his uh, war and fighting and destruction he did not change anything the same world order imperialist powers fighting with each other what was there before him also continued after him you know different great powers of the world fighting for supremacy with each other he did not change the system but gandhi he says gandhi destroyed the british empire destroyed imperialism destroyed the old world order and a new world was born because of gandhi so gandhi was more destructive than more violent than hitler uh, so that's the way he when he when he explains it it makes sense but he is, puts it in such a way which is shocking okay um so other you take other examples not just gandhi ji go back in in history in in the past krishna himself the one who is speaking here what was he regarded as as a coward boy all the great kings and princes at that time uh, at least in the beginning they just thought he was a coward boy absolutely unimportant um rama though the prince of ayodhya he was uh, wandering in the forest people did not um, know his glory or greatness buddha that way had a little bit of an advantage because he was the son of the prince and uh, son of the king and people knew it that he was the son of a king jesus people called him a son of a carpenter they had no idea uh, of uh, who or what he was again in every case a few great spiritual seekers they recognized the avatar that they recognized the glory of the person in front of them who this person is is actually the 
king of the universe is in standing in front of you. What an amazing realization that must have been. Um, then if you take a, a Sri Ramakrishna himself, people thought he was a madman. That he is getting visions and uh, he, he has these fits. He, go, he has visions of Kali. Or he is an illiterate a temple priest, a worshipper of Kali. So, avajananti mangona. People, the fools, they do not recognize me. Then, so God, they think, has become a human being. So, they think it's an ordinary human being. But I am not an ordinary human being. I am not subject to the laws of karma like everybody else. I do not have ignorance. He will explain that later. Others are under the spell of ignorance. They do not know what who they are. Their own inner reality that they are Satchitanda, they don't know. They do not know what this world is. That it is an appearance of Brahman that they don't know. They don't know me, God, Saguna Brahman. But I know it all. They don't know their own past lives. Sentient beings, let alone knowing God, they don't even know their own lives. What has happened in the past and what will happen in this life, what will happen in future. And Sri Krishna will say, I know it all. Omniscient. He's saying that he is Saguna Brahman, God. Uh, many people don't understand this. I remember many years about, ago, about 15 years ago, there was, or no, not so much. There was um, 300 years of Guru Gobind Singh, um, they call it Gutta Gaddi, when Guru Gobind Singh in Sikh religion, he declared that from now on there won't be any more gurus and the Guru Granth Sahib will be your guru. The text will now your, be your guru. The, you know the history of the Sikh religion, the ten gurus and then um, after that no more guru, the text itself. Guru Granth Sahib is now your guru. So that event is called Gurta Gaddi and it was 300 years, 300 years of that were observed um, in a place called Nanded. It's uh, to the south of um, in the border between uh, Andhra and uh, I think Madhya Pradesh, I think. I'm not sure exactly. Um, so I went there and the Sikhs had organized an interfaith in Maharashtra. Yes, Andhra and Maharashtra went there. Uh, Sikhs had organized an interfaith conference, an international interfaith conference. So I and Swami Atmapriyanji, we represented Hinduism. And there were representatives from different religions, one, one or two from each. There was actually a rabbi from New York who was representing Judaism there. Um, and, and there was a whole group of Tibetan monks. There was some miscommunication. Uh, the Dalai Lama thought that the, what, there was, what was required was not a speaker, but a group of monks to chant. So they sent their whole chanting team. All they wanted was one speaker. So he had a whole group of Tibetan monks and one representative from each religion. And Swami Atmapriyanji, very quickly, he went back to Belurmat, so I was left alone there. And uh, so one discussion where a speaker, a, a Sikh scholar, was criticizing Hinduism and saying, see, these are the ways in which Sikhism differs from Hinduism. Hindus believe God has become human being. God has become a human being. So I, being a, at that time much younger and more foolish, I stood up and protested. Then I quoted from Gita. So I said, and in the seventh chapter, it says, Abhyaktam Vyaktim Apanna Manyanti Maam Abuddhaya. Fools think 
that Hindus think God has become a human being. God remains God. And then I quoted from the ninth chapter that uh, this avajananti maam mora manushim tanu mashrita. Fools think that I have um, become a human being um, and they, they deride me or they, uh, they think less of me. They do not know I am none other than God. I appear as a human being. You know, they were saying that, no, you are wrong. And it caused a minor uproar. You are wrong. Um, Hindus think that God is a human and God is born as a human being. And then, but, but specifically, if you see the Gita, Gita says this. And I was foolish because uh, I was surrounded by all these big men in turbans and beards and with swords. Which Luckily, they did not draw the swords. Uh, but I think I made my point. So... This is the point that Sri Krishna is making. Avatara is not easily recognized. We say that, oh, I accept Sri Ramakrishna as an avatara. Well, yes, you do at this distance. After Vivekananda has proclaimed him, after you see the lives of all these great teachers and then thousands of other people, including great scholars. So people whom you admire and respect, generally, they are now accepting. And also society in general begins to accept. It's no great credit to, to you that you have also accepted but it was a great credit to those few people who recognized in that, that some recognized him in, when he was a child, Sri Ramakrishna as a child. Some very devout villagers around him, they recognized this child was not an ordinary child. So those people are extraordinary. And they, for them, liberation is guaranteed in this, in this life itself. Why is it difficult to recognize? Next. Naham prakasha sarvasya yoga maya samavritaha mudhoyam nabhijanati loko mamajam abhyayam. I am not manifest to all, being veiled by my mysterious power, yoga maya. This ignorant world does not know me, unborn and immutable. Naham prakasha. Why is it difficult to know? Because I am not revealed. It's people see me as Krishna. People see the avatar. You see Rama and Krishna and Jesus and Buddha and so on. But what they are is not revealed. Why is it not, uh, not revealed? Yoga Maya Samabrita. Because I am covered. I am hidden. I am veiled by Yoga Maya, the power of uh, Yoga Maya. What is Yoga Maya? Shankaracharya in his commentary gives a, a very a simple, uh, straightforward interpretation of yoga maya. Maya is made of three gunas. Sattva, Rajas and Tamas. By the combination, by the yoga of the three gunas. So yoga maya literally is the constitution of maya as being explained here. Uh, maya is the combination of the three gunas. But a deeper meaning, Shankaracharya also mentions that. He says, or it is the special power by which the Lord manifests as avatar. It's a, Shankaracharya just says it's special power projected by the Lord. Why special power? Swami Vivekananda explains. He says, nature has two kinds of creations. Nature has two kinds of creations. One is the um, world and sentient beings like us. And second are special creations like incarnations. So he says Krishna and Jesus and others, they are special creations of nature. They are not creations like the rest of us. So nature here is Prakriti or in Vedanta, it will be the power of Brahman, Maya. 
So Maya has two kinds of products. One is the general product of this universe, the entire physical universe, space, air, fire, water, earth, and all the combinations of it producing all our subtle bodies and the physical bodies and all the worlds. And sentient beings, the consciousness which becomes limited by these individual bodies and minds. So this is nature producing all of this. This is what we see around. But occasionally, on the command of the Lord of Nature, which is Ishwara, Bhagavan, nature will produce a unique thing, looking just like everything else. This unique thing is the incarnation, the body, the encasing of the incarnation that is produced by nature. And that special power of nature is called Yoga Maya, which enables the infinite to appear in a finite form, which enables the all-pervasive to come in a particular place and time and to play a role, you know, like a play, like a drama. It's a special manifestation of power. There's a very unique thing about Sri Ramakrishna. After he, he passed, he gave up the mortal body. Holy Mother, Ma Sharada, could not, did not really want to stay back. And uh, there was always the danger she would give up the body in meditation and go back to her abode. But Sri Ramakrishna wanted her to stay back so that she had a great role to fulfill in the remaining decades of her life. So, he pointed to this little child whose mother was mentally unbalanced and the little baby Radhu, whom nobody was taking care of. And he put compassion, a special attachment in her mind for that little baby. And he says to her, in a, in a, in a, like a vision, um, that this is yoga maya, hold on to this and stay in this world. This, so it's a kind of attachment specially generated for her so that she will remain in this body as Masharada for a few more years. So it, very interesting. So this is another meaning of Yoga Maya. It's the power by which the avatar appears and stays amongst us. It's very difficult for, for them to, to be amongst in this, this mortal realm. They, un, they undergo so much suffering for our sake. Yoga Maya Samavrita. So this Yoga Maya veils me and therefore people do not see. But not all people. And sarvasya, not all. So I'm not uh, available for, you know, like for all to know who I am, which means some will realize, some will pierce the veil of Yoga Maya during the Leela, the time of the life of the avatar, the Leela. In the physical performance of that Leela, the divine play of the Avatara, during that time, some will recognize. They are usually very uh, great spiritual seekers and those who have the special grace of the Avatara. They will realize who, who this uh, person is. Otherwise, Muroyam Nabhijanati Loka, the deluded world, does not know me. How does it not know you? They know you. They saw Ramakrishna. They saw Krishna. They saw Chaitanya. So how is it that they don't know you? They saw Jesus, but they saw the person. They did not see the divinity in that person. How are you different? This already he has mentioned earlier when he has explained what an avatar is. But again, he is, Krishna is telling us, how are you? You just look like a human being. How are you different? Uh, 26. Vedaham samati tani Vartamanani charjuna Bhavishani chabhutani Mamtu Vedana Kashchana Orjuna, 
I know all beings, past, present and future, but nobody knows me. In one of the stotras, hymns to Sri Ramakrishna, it is said, Yo veti sarvam nachayasya veta. Who knows all, but there is no knower for that one. Basically, that is the Sakshi Chaitanya, the witness consciousness in all of us. But here is talking about incarnation, God. So God knows everything, omniscient. But God is not known directly. The real nature of God, of course, cannot be known as an object because it is our real nature also. Here he says, I am beyond ignorance. Suddenly, why is he saying this? To signal that he is not like us. We are covered by ignorance. We do not know our own real nature. We do not know God. We do not know the nature of this world. We do not know even as human beings also, we don't know our own life. What has happened in the past, previous lives. What will happen in this life? We don't even know the present. What will happen in the future lives? Of course, we don't know. But there is a being who knows. God knows everything and the incarnation also. So does the incarnation know everything about everybody at the same time? No. But if the incarnation wants, it's necessary for the Leela, then the incarnation will immediately know uh, in an extraordinary way. I'm reminded of, see, the same incident shows Jesus and John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is one who recognizes who Jesus is. And uh, Jesus shows he knows all of it, all the past and the present. So that when, you know, John the Baptist in the river Jordan, he used to baptize people uh, that now you are reborn. He would dunk them in the river. That's where the baptism ceremony has come from in the church. And uh, he would tell people that someone is coming. I can feel it. I know it. It has been prophesied that one is coming who will baptize you not with water as I baptize you. He'll baptize you with fire. He'll baptize you with not a ritual. He'll baptize you with the truth. He's talking about the coming of Avatar. One day, in the long line of people who are coming for that baptism, John the Baptist, he sees Jesus. And uh, he immediately bows down to Jesus and he says, it is not I who should baptize you. You should baptize me. I am not even... He used to say to people, the one, one is coming whose shoelaces I am not fit to tie. Although he was such a great saint, everybody revered him. They thought, who is he talking about? And this ordinary carpenter, young son of a carpenter, he comes and suddenly this great saint, he bows down to him and says, no, I am not fit to baptize you. You should baptize me. And what did Jesus say? See, on the other hand, the avatar knows everything. He says, immediately he acknowledges. Only John the Baptist and Jesus understand the dialogue. Nobody else, everybody would have mystified what's going on here. Jesus says, be that as it may, but let the prophecies be fulfilled. And let what has been written, what is to be done, the Leela, it should go on. You should baptize me. Just like Sri Ramakrishna had a series of gurus. He was an avatar. What can human gurus teach him? But this is, in this way, religion is again re-established. Um, he gets initiated in a tantric way, in a Vaishnava way, in the worship of Kali, in the worship of Rama, in the worship of Krishna, in the Advaitic worship. He practices Christianity and Islam. And in every way, he reaches the highest score. What is this? This is sthapakaya chadharmasya. This is re-establishing the truth of religion, core truth of all religions. So that is what that is the leela. And for that, he needs to be initiated by so many gurus. For that, Jesus needs to be baptized by John the Baptist. But he knows all of it. Then 27. 
Now the question is, what is it that is preventing us from realizing the avatar and realizing becoming enlightened also? What what is the exact problem? The power. Ichadvesha samuthena dwandva mohena bharata sarvabhutani sammoham sarge yanti parantapa all beings o scorcher of foes are deluded at birth by that deception due to the pairs of opposites which arise out of desire and aversion o descendant of bharata so by ignorance basically by ignorance in advaita vedanta we say ignorance is the cause of all delusion but specifically what form does it take it takes the form of our cravings this is nice and i want this it could be money and sense pleasures and gadgets and relationships and power and status and facebook likes and what not i want this this is nice and the opposite there are many things in this world i am scared of it i hate it or this thing or this job or this food or this person and i want to avoid it ragadvesha likes and dislikes attractions and repulsions you might say that but that's very pretty obvious and it's common um, it's it's reasonable there are things which you would like and things you would not like but in a deep sense that is that is born of delusion if brahman alone is the reality and so in a deep sense you would not have particular likes and dislikes for anything or anybody in the universe yes practically of course even after enlightenment you will eat food and you will not eat poison but you know that is at the practical that is the practical level vyavaharika level empirical level there is only one reality existence consciousness space and that you are choicelessly from eternity to eternity you are already that at the level of the movie at the level of the dream at the level of the illusion there are things which are good and bad and you know in the movies there are heroes and villains but it's a movie the enlightened one doesn't knows that we don't and that's why we react to this as if it was it was the ultimate truth and therefore our likes and dislikes are dislikes are very strong we desperately run after our likes and that's the purpose of our lives we desperately run away from certain things and that's what we we that's what, we, what our life is those things cause anxiety to me these things cause temptation and one causes temptation and the one causes terror the two t's temptation capital t and capital t terror and temptation dislikes terror um, likes uh, attraction temptation and now we are swept along in life you see even immorality unethical behavior it is only because of these two we generally educated cultured decent adult people we know what is right what is wrong we have a general sense of morality yet we do things which are immoral sometimes we make mistakes why not on purpose not deliberately because we always um, regret it but what made us do it ragadvesha attraction and repulsion some attraction was there we could not resist or some terror anxiety was there we could not resist and therefore we did something which we normally would not have done we said something which we later regret so in our behavior and speech we are forced into immorality and into unethical behavior because of this ragadvesha it's it's a, a delusion created by the world of dreams created by 
ज 
Swami Rangaranthanji makes a big deal out of this in his English commentary. You know, one of the most beautiful commentaries which is available in the Gita now, three-volume commentary on Bhagavad Gita by Swami Rangaranthanji, who was our 13th president. So there he makes a big deal out of this. He says, look at the scientific spirit. This is objectivity. And he makes a distinction between knowledge and opinion. Vastu Tantra, Purusha Tantra. Vastu Tantra means a knowledge of a thing as it is. What thing? Things in the world. People, um, case study. Uh, um, you know, if you're a doctor, you're uh, diagnosing a, a patient. If you are a researcher in a lab, you are making, taking a call on your findings. Whatever it is. Politician, educationist, philosopher. But objective approach to knowledge. That is called Vastu Tantra. Vastu Tantra means knowledge as a thing is. Purusha Tantra means opinion. Depending, personal, subjective, depending on you. Shankaracharya makes a difference between the two. Vastu Tantra is always knowledge of the object as it is. And Purusha Tantra is, he says, Kattum akattum anyatava kattum shakyate. You can do it. You may not do it. You may do it otherwise, in a different way. It's up to you. Your action, whatever action you will take in a particular situation, it's a matter of opinion, uh, depending upon your personal choice. So opinion is not knowledge. Personal views are personal views. Prejudices are prejudices. They are not knowledge. He says a mind which is clouded by strong likes and dislikes is infected, is prejudiced. Even in worldly affairs. Then Shankaracharya goes on. Kimu vaktabhyam tabhyam avishta buddhehe sammudhasya pratyagatmani bahu pratibandhe jnanam notpadyateti. What is there to wonder at? What is there to say that? That such a mind will not get realization about the inner self. That I am Satchidananda. That knowledge will not come in such a mind. A mind which is clouded by strong likes and dislikes. There are many obstacles, many difficulties in realizing that I am the witness consciousness. In that case, such a mind which cannot get correct knowledge of external things will not get knowledge inside. So this knowledge focus, not opinion focus, this is the difference between Advaita Vedanta and um, dualistic or theistic schools. Theistic schools of thought will tell you a doctrine, will tell you a matter of faith. Believe in God like this. God is of this form, of these qualities, and these are the texts. Why? Because we say so. It's a doctrine. Or nowadays, people don't even follow doctrines. Doctrines are often bound on, grounded on good reasoning, on a um, lot of the experience of saints. But nowadays, people just follow their own feelings. And they forget what I like is not necessarily true. What I dislike is not necessarily false. The objectivity, in Advaita Vedanta, objectivity is very important. And very interestingly, in objectivity, not only about things in the world, but objectivity about the subject. The mind which has strong likes and dislikes in the world, the mind which has a lot of prejudices in the world, uh, will carry up those into the realm of religion. For such a mind, Advaita becomes very difficult. Advaita is not a matter of uh, opinions. It's not a matter of likes and dislikes. It's a matter of seeing what is real, not a matter of feelings that I feel this to be right, so it must be right. No. It could be, but one must investigate it. This knowledge focus, 
Swami Ranganathan ji says this must be trained. He emphasizes education from childhood onwards. He's talking about India. He says in our country, it's rife with superstition. It's run over with, you know, a variety of ritualistic practices and superstitions just because it has been um, transmitted for generations in our community, just because of that, I'm following it. Um, a variety of, uh, you know, worship of this deity, that deity. Core idea of Vedanta, that there is one divinity, Satchidananda. You can take it in, in a dualistic form, Dvaita Vedanta. You can take it in Vishishta Dvaita form. You can take it in a Dvaitic form. That has to be realized. That has to be realized through the great paths of inquiry, Jnana Yoga, through the path of meditation, Dhyana Yoga, through the path of devotion, Bhakti Yoga, or unselfish service of God in humanity. These are the royal paths. Not little, little um, customs, rites, rituals, which are, so he says, all pervasive and full of superstitions. This comes because knowledge approach is not encouraged. Inquiry approach is not encouraged. And this must to be encouraged. Not You can't just directly jump to it in religion. It must be encouraged first in education. When he talks about Indian education, Indian education with emphasis was more on rote learning, just memorizing texts instead of asking questions. That way, the one good thing about education here in the West, from schools onwards, uh, children are taught to question, to ask questions, to, to learn from themselves and to be uh, think and new, think for themselves, to be creative. And Ranganathanji says that is very important to be a good Advaitin, to be a good Jnana Yogi, that is important. Let me read that sentence again. Such a wonderful observation. Nahi icha dvesha dosha paravashi krita chittasya yatha bhutartha vishaya jnana mutpadyate bahirapi. External knowledge about external uh, objects is also difficult for, uh, for an objective knowledge is also difficult for a mind clouded by likes and dislikes. What is there to wonder at? What is there to say when it comes to the extremely subtle, very difficult to get knowledge of the inner self, Pratyagatma, uh, when the mind is clouded by uh, likes and dislikes, attractions and aversions. I remember... I was, um, I, I heard this remarkable statement by a classical teacher, a teacher of classical Advaita Vedanta, Ramananda Saraswati. So in a gathering, there was question and answer going on. And this traditional, uh, you know, Shankarite monk, wandering monk, suddenly somebody asked a question, what is true education? And everybody else was a little taken aback. We had a nice Vedantic discussion going on. So why suddenly this general question of what is true education? But he gave a beautiful answer from the uh, Adhyasa Bhashya of Shankaracharya, Ramanujacharya, uh, not sorry, uh, Ramananda Saraswati. He gave a, a wonderful answer. And the answer was that Pashwadi Avisheshat, there is no distinction between a learned person and an animal. Why? That um, a person may have learned all the books, studied everything, but if it's not reflected in, in behavior, then it is not education. And he gives, and the Shankar, Shankaracharya himself gives the example in uh, Adhyasa Bhashya. Harita Trinapurna, that somebody comes with a handful of green grass and waves it in front of a cow, the cow will go towards that one, that person. Some Danda Udyata Karapurusham, a man comes with a raised stick and the cow will run away from that man. 
Similarly, when temptation and terror come into our lives, no matter what we have understood, what we know to be right, what we know to be true, we run towards what is nice and attractive. We run away from what is scary and anxiety-producing, fear-inducing. Though we may know going towards that is wrong and not doing the right thing when you are faced with terror and, uh, you know, uh, that is not right. We should not run away from there. But we do it. And Shankaracharya says, Pashwadi avisheshat. Then what is the difference between a pandit and a cow and, and an animal? You're doing the same thing. Then Ramananda Saraswati said, so what is true education? Simply, what you have studied and assimilated to live according to that. Even if you think it is wrong, even in the face of temptation, you resist temptation. If you think it is right, then even in the face of threats and, um, and chances of loss, uh, of harm, you still do what is right. That is true education. What a remarkable answer. And Krishna here is saying the same thing. He says um, that Ichadvesha samuthena dvandva mohena bharata. Then a beautiful verse. Yesham tvantagatam papam jananam punyakarmanam te dvandva moha nirmukta bhajante maam tridhabrata. But those of virtuous actions whose sins have been at an end are freed from the delusion of the dualities and worship me with firmness of vow. Who gets out of this delusion? He says, Antagatam papam. Those whose sins are at an end. Sins are at an end. Remember, it is not that spirituality is not for a sinner. It, it is generally seen that those who have a lot of bad karma, sinful karma, and generally they are not attracted to spiritual path. They will not find devotion in God. The minds will be too restless to meditate. Um, then this whole path of inquiry and self-realization will seem, simply seem pointless, unreal to them. And the path of selfless service, why? I, me, mine, why should I do anything for others? This is, this, this is a sign, a Vedantist in Indian philosophy, they will say this is a sign of bad karma, of a sinful life. Not in this life, many lives pass maybe. But the point is, then is all lost? Can I not be spiritual? Of course not. Human birth is meant for God-realization. So if I have got a human birth, then whatever my past karma, all human bodies are produced by a mixture of good and bad karma. So whatever my past karma, no matter how bad the karma is, the fact that I have got a human birth means I have a chance at enlightenment in this life. All of us have a chance. So it's not that bad karma is preventing me in this life, no chance of spirituality. If I want, I can make an effort. So uh, he says, Antagratam Papam here, uh, one can overcome these, uh, this bad karma by one thing. We'll talk about the details, but the first, most important, is to make up your mind, God-realization is my goal. Moksha is my goal. Enlightenment is my goal. Money is not my goal. Money may be there. Um, relationships are not my goal. Um, you know, Power and position or going to heaven after death, that's not my goal. Enlightenment is my goal. I want that. Now or in some future life, but I have to get that. 
that is the most purifying thing he says punya karmana those who have, who have got meritorious deeds all meritorious deeds will come later the first thing which makes everything meritorious is this um, this vow this intention of enlightenment my goal is enlightenment then whatever you do will slowly become all meritorious the other way around there are people who do meritorious deeds they give alms to the poor they give donations to charities why so my bad karma will be wiped out maybe i'll go to heaven after this nowhere is god realization enlightenment anywhere on the scene that is not being talked about here one may do plenty of meritorious deeds good things just because you know maybe i like doing good maybe i like social causes environmental causes and that's it and nothing to do with enlightenment god realization that kind of meritorious deed is not being talked about here so first is i must become enlightened in this very life then it will follow what kind of life will i lead what kind of decisions life decisions will i take how will i behave with others what disciplines will i follow how will i speak all of these will now be slowly it will follow it will be implied by this one core idea te dwandva moha nirmukta they are freed of these dualities heat and cold honor and dishonor all these dualities these dualities are secondary uh, heat and cold honor and dishonor pain and pleasure there are many kinds of even even deeper dualities what are they one is first question samsar ke liye ya ishwar ke liye my life is it for samsara is life for this world or is it for god is it for enlightenment or is it for worldly enjoyment is my life going to be spent in the pursuit of worldly things or in the pursuit of spirituality this is the first duality i have to decide and the second duality will be a choice there will be so many choices before us path of knowledge or the path of devotion in the path of devotion then am i a vaishnava as a shaiva um, shakta or a christian or a muslim um, so many paths especially in this day and age it's all open you have to but you have to pick up one and then hold on to that that decision also has to be taken and then these dualities pleasure and pain success and failure gain and loss humiliation or or, um, or uh, you know praise these will keep coming i will pursue my god uh, god realization as my goal then what happens bhajante mam dridhavrataha such persons will be able to worship me dridhavrata with firm determination with affirmed vows what happens is in most cases there is a direct connection between bad karma indisciplined life and fickleness so such a person often they come to spirituality they listen to a couple of good lectures they read a couple of books maybe attend a meditation retreat but that's it nothing more they they make a resolution and then they break the resolution new year's resolutions you know <laughs> meant uh, they are made and then they broken why does this happen this is the true saint a true spiritual practitioner is very firm in practice that you will see in the lives of all great saints you will see the lives of direct disciples how firm they were whatever they took up they followed through it does not matter if they are physically ill if there is no money nobody supporting them if it's too hot or too cold 
too hot to meditate i was just thinking it's too hot to meditate in india you feel sometimes like that it's too hot too humid you cannot uh, concentrate how can anybody possibly meditate in this and let me get up and go and read a book i'm speaking from personal experience let me go up and get up and re- re- read a uh, book but then i read about swami vigyanananda ji in the direct disciple of sri ramakrishna in alabad where he spent decades of his life in a small ashram a small building no electricity no fan in the blistering heat of summer of alabad 8 hours 10 hours 12 hours a day meditation it's really hot what does he do he wets a towel and uh, puts it on his head and comes back and sits on meditation what tremendous determination swami trigunathitananda also was known for his unshakable determination all of them all the direct disciples i remember seeing a very great swami a traditional teacher in haridwar we were attending classes then one monk he came to attend a class a text was being taught after a few days so it is open format you know they are like uh, a bit like a zoom class you can come in and you can go <laughs> so they can come in and sit and you can listen to a class or you can disappear if you want to go away somewhere off on your pilgrimage or whatever after a few days the monk said i want to go on a pilgrimage to the himalayas to gangotri and badrinath and the teacher who the swami who was the teacher said look you have taken up something finish it finish it and then go but this monk young monk was restless he said no i have been see i've got this tremendous dispassion i want to off to the himalayas and you know um, after a few days the teacher said all right then go Oh, this Swami went off. He disappeared. He went to his pilgrimage in Himalayas. But a couple of days later, he was back. They asked him, what happened? Oh, Swami, we went in this bus and uh, there are huge landslides in the mountains. So there was a huge landslide and the road was cut off. So I had to come back. Now this master that was teaching Vedanta, the Swami, he scolded this young monk severely. He said, this is not the way you are going to become enlightened. take up one thing and finish it no matter what so what if there is a landslide you walk you start walking get up and go you know climb over the landslide and then walk why do you need a bus so and he said whether the body lives or dies i will go and reach that uh, temple in the high high mountains this is unless you have that determination what will happen is every time an obstacle comes up you will give up and you will take up something easier an easy going life and spiritual life don't go together is fickle um in that's why in small things also determination is important so that in big things we don't waver and he said that is why i told you to finish it you've taken up the study of a text finish the text and then go i remember trigunathitananda maharaj once he started doing japa and he said i will keep on doing the japa um until i get enlightenment but he's not stopping to eat or to sleep and his brother disciples thought he's going to go mad and they pleaded with him just stop for a while and eat something and then you can start doing the, repeat the mantra sit and repeat the mantra finally he was persuaded swami shivananda tarak maharaj swami shivananda whom trigunathitanji revered so much he said you are a holy man you sit near me and repeat the mantra i'll touch you with one hand and quickly eat something and then i'll sit and repeat the mantra again but that determination you see and so here krishna says dridavrata and this this determination is directly linked to purity of mind even if we are not determined we should 
try our best to keep on increasing that particular quality that is connected with focus. Otherwise, what happens? I may decide, all right, I'm inspired. I shall become enlightened in this very life. But that determination itself will be shaky. The moment, next day, some new determination, new goal will come along. So one determination and follow through with it. That's the way to um, achieve something great in life. There's a saying, who is a big shot? The American phrase, big shot. A big shot is a little shot who keeps shooting. <laughs> so a little shot who keeps shooting is a big shot. Um, I remember when I wanted to become a monk, I was studying. So I came to the monastery and bowed down to my guru and I said, I want to become a monk. And my guru asked me, what are you doing? And uh, what are you studying? I said, I'm studying. I'm doing my MBA. How much is left? I said, one more year. And he's very gently, he told me, is it good to give up things halfway? And I had the good sense at least to listen to him. So I said, all right. I asked him, I was worried that maybe if I'd wait for one more year, maybe I won't be able to become a monk. So I asked him, that wouldn't, wouldn't there be a problem if I wait for a year? Immediately reassured me. He said, there won't be any problem. So I had a good sense to listen to him and go back and complete it. One of Tolstoy's or Dostoevsky's works, I'm not sure which one, there's a young man who wants to become a monk in Russia in the Eastern Orthodox Church, Russian Orthodox Church. And so he goes up to become a monk, but that's his examination time. It's, it's a very well-known phenomenon. Just before examinations, everybody wants to become a monk. So the old patriarch in the church tells him, you go back and finish your studies. And this young man is, is not willing to listen. Then the old uh, patriarch said, patriarch or monk said, look, this life, is like a marathon race. It is for your whole life. It's not a matter of uh, one year or two years. If you don't have the patience to hold on to something like your studies for one more year, how will you hold on to this life for the next 80, 90 years? So that uh, patience, that determination to take up one thing and to finish it, it's a great quality, no doubt. I mean, I saw with my own eyes that one quality which distinguished all the best academicians at Harvard University. I noticed this. I studied it, actually. I would go and watch them. Students, very brilliant students. One common thing I saw in all of them, their ability to focus and hold on for hours and hours, pouring over. Young kids, you think the kids these days are restless, but no. Many of them are not like that. Especially in a place like Harvard, you get to see the best of these and the most uh, educationally, those who are very highly, highly qualified or endowed. One common quality is focus and the ability to hold on, determination. Then all of this, Sri Krishna says, Dridavrataha. Why do they do this? All of this, what is the purpose? Why will they practice with so much determination? 29th verse. Jara marana mokshaya, mama shritya yatantiye, te brahmhatad vidu kritsnam, adhyatmam karma chakhilam. So they strive, why do they strive? Jara marana mokshaya, to, be, to attain freedom from the cycle of birth and death. Moksha. Those who strive for freedom from decay and death take refuge in me. Know that Brahman, all about the embodied self and action in its entirety. What will, what will, will, they, what will they get? 
desiring enlightenment, desiring freedom from suffering. And suffering is shown as the cycle of birth and death. They make efforts. Yatantiye, those who make efforts. They will realize Brahman. And Adhyatmam, about their inner self. I am Brahman. They will realize that. Karmam, the real meaning of karma. Real meaning of karma is enlightenment. Not for enjoyment in this world. Um, Swami Vivekananda starts his Karma Yoga book. The purpose of karma, the purpose of work, is not enjoyment, it is knowledge. Gita, Krishna says, Sarva karma khilam partha jnane parisamapyate. All work, all activity, whatever you do in this world, it only ends and culminates in knowledge. And what knowledge? The final knowledge, enlightenment, God realization. And that's what will happen to such people who practice with firm determination. Then Krishna adds like a trailer, you know, they say to encourage a person to wait for the next installment, 30th verse. Sadhi bhuta adhidai vamcha, sadhi bhuta adhidai vammam, sadhi yagyam chaye viduhu, prayana kale pichamam, te vidur yukta chetasa. Those who know me together with what concerns beings, the gods and the sacrifices, fix their mind on me and know me even at the time of death. So he has a whole slew of technical terms which he throws out at the very end of the chapter. Unnecessary, but he throws it out. Adibhutam, adidaivam, adiyagyam. And these are the things you have to realize and center your mind at the, in me at the time of death. Very intriguing. Suddenly he says these things. And obviously we want to know what, what, do, what do all these things mean? And that will be the question that Arjuna will ask, which will lead to the 8th chapter. But that we will have to wait. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ramakrishna Rupanamastu Sorry, I missed the chat box. Let me quickly take a look at what's there. Rick says, a lot of people claim that their guru is an avatar. A lot of gurus claim it. Do you think avatars or partial avatars are somewhat commonplace? Or most of these claims, bogus. I wouldn't say bogus. They're mostly out of great devotion. One Swami said that Abrahamic religions are too strict. There's only one teacher or one incarnation and everything else is false. No. And Hinduism is too liberal. And, um, you have any number of avatars and prophets. And all. When Swami Vivekananda came to teach here in one church, he was going to give a talk. And this lady who later wrote reminiscences, she said, I had gone breathlessly to see this visitor, mysterious visitor from the East. And my friend breathlessly was telling me, the two young girls were telling me, he's like a prophet from the Bible. And I said, but the age of prophets is done. And uh, she said, no, in India, it's always the age of the prophets. So, <laughs> so you may be over-liberal. Uh, who was it? I think Swami Ashokanandaji. He was talking about Berkeley. You know, in, in the time of the, the hippies in the 1960s and early 70s. Um, Swami Ashokanji or Swami Prabhavanandji. He said, Oh, Berkeley, wonderful place, an avatar in every corner. 
<laughs> so every corner they're all high on drugs of course and they think they are enlightened beings so uh, it is better to be um, to be parsimonious to be a little economical with our avatars doesn't matter whether my guru is avatar out of great devotion i may say my guru is an avatar doesn't matter as long as i have intense devotion faith in the teachings and i practice it it's enough generally avatars are rare Gaurav says, Iskon accepts Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as the avatar of Radha Krishna. Correct. When I visited, Swami Narayan Temple appeared, they had their own version of avatars. From a Dvaitic perspective, does it matter if people get avatars correct? No, it doesn't matter. What, what matters is you, you get the ultimate reality. I am Brahman. That, is, that you have to get correct. I feel that Advaita is a very simple philosophy. The theistic application religion gets quite complicated because their followers don't have a way to verify correctness of faith in avatars. Yes, Advaita Vedanta is very elegant, very mathematical almost in its simplicity and directness, very impersonal, equally available to everybody, but maybe a little subtle. Uh, whereas de- the, deist, the theistic faiths, the dualistic faiths, they tend to have very complex theologies. If you try to make sense of it, it becomes very complex very fast. Advaita, you see, compare Advaita Vedanta and Vishishta Advaita. Vishishta Advaita, the, the philosophical system is actually far more complex than Advaita Vedanta. And if you compare it with Dvaita Vedanta, dualistic system of Madhvacharya, much more complex. Alpana says, are the terms Prakriti and Maya used in Upanishads? Yes. Are they from Sankhya philosophy? No, they are used, you find, uh, in Upanishads. Shvetashvara Upanishad uses, actually uses Maya. Even um, Rigveda uses Maya, the term Maya. Punita ji says, verse 7.24, can it also be interpreted that Krishna is referring to us being confused about our birth in this human incarnation, not aware of a true nature as consciousness, unborn and unmanifest? Correct. That's the direct interpretation, but that's the Advaitic interpretation. If you look at Shankaracharya's commentary on this, he could have directly said, we are ignorant about our real nature. Our real nature is Satchidananda. Chidananda Rupa Hashivoham. Finished. No. There he gives a, a devotional, a bhakti interpretation. We do not know Narayan or Bhagavan. Because what is this chapter? Here we have the emphasis is on devotion, bhakti. Gita Dev says, wasn't Bhairavi Brahmani one of the first to recognize Thakur as an avatar? Certainly. There was a porter who recognized Ma Sharada as, as Ma Janaki, as Sita. Yes. So the, imagine, there's so many people, very simple, saintly people who recognized, and great scholars, very intellectual people who kept on doubting. <laughs> Abhijit says, Where does the concept of avatar originate in terms of Shruti, Smriti, Purana? We are not going to go into that. It's avatarology, it's a huge subject. In Christian theology, there's a whole Christology. Bill says 7.28. Please say more about worship. Not today. Sean Lee says, once you said a devotee with tearful heart and eyes and a tremendous devotion will also get an enlightened mind, even though they don't watch any Vedanta lectures. Correct. Rama says, can duality here mean the subject-object duality and freeing from the same to realize the oneness? Again, the same answer. This is a very Advaitic 
way of understanding it and that's correct i would be entirely in agreement with you but here let's remember the context is devotion tamiko says in the firm determination needed for enlightenment how does one avoid falling into either spiritual bypassing or ignoring one's own inner voice and inner guidance see if one does that spiritual bypassing or ignoring one's own inner voice inner guidance the result will be suffering remember the lord is in charge of our spiritual life ultimately the whole universe is designed for ultimately leading us to enlightenment so if i get into a wrong by lane and alleys there will be enough kicks and blows which will guide me back to the reality uh, so yes nobody will be left behind nobody will be lost in the end pradeep bose says in 7.28 a firm resolve is it synonymous with vakulata correct uh, intense restlessness for god intense desire for god but intense desire for god it's difficult for us to generate that directly what we can do is take a firm resolve and pursue it we do it in our worldly life to get a degree how much resolve you need to get a job in a high pressure place like say wall street in these hedge funds and all how much resolve and effort is you know you throw yourself into it 12 hours 14 hours god realization is easier than that all right so 12th april we'll meet again for the gospel of sri ramakrishna class uh, of course other the sunday classes and talks will go on here om shanti 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 hari hi om tat sat shri ramakrishna arpanamastu